Hello, and welcome to Pineapple Politics. You're here with Jacob Knapp and my brother Ben Knapp. Ben, can you give us a sign-on for this week? Hey, how's it going? I'm Ben Knapp, star of Pineapple Politics. Okay, so Ben seems to think that he was the star of the last week's episode, whereas this is the same man who said the Russian story was bullshit. I, I was the star, because while I may have said less, what I said was burning, searing truth that the people, Ben, the people, felt and, and understood. So I was the star of the last week's episode. You kind, of, you kind of sounded like Michelle Obama for a second, which is a strange thing for you to sound like, but you did. I was clearly the star. Everybody who is listening to this episode is listening because of me. Let's move on. This is your episode to redeem yourself, though. I'm three glasses of wine in, and I'm not up to doing this tonight. <laughs> so this is going to be a boozy episode of Pineapple Politics, if you hear <laughs> any of this. That's me sipping my G&T. stands for gin and tonic. Uh, we're going to be talking healthcare, Russia... Raise the Age, an event that we have under uh, Pineapple Politics that's happening on March 31st before the bill either passes or fails with the new budget on April 1st. So before we do all that, Ben, can you give me a summary of Donald Trump's presidency so far in one sentence? Basically a person who's tailgating you and honking super obnoxiously, who then speeds past you and crashes into a lamppost. That has some schadenfreude to it. That's the Trump presidency right now. I, I had one. Okay, go for it. Winnie the Pooh shits all over himself. Ew. <laughs> <laughs> but let's talk about Russia, Ben. What happened this week in Russia? So, Russia, Russia, Russia. Um, should we give people context, or should we just go over what happened this week? Can you summarize the context? All right. So we know that the Russian government does recruit, uses businessmen in America as agents. Basically, they recruit, either wittingly or unwittingly, the business class in America to be their agents. We know that is something they do. We have evidence that they've done that, that they have KGB agents who reach out. They're no longer called the KGB, but the modern equivalent of the KGB, who reach out to businesses and businessmen in America. To be clear about the Russia story, everything that may be true is not necessarily true, but we're going to assume it is because it's more fun. Continue. The conspiracy theory is this. Trump was a failing businessman. He was deeply in debt and going bankrupt in the mid-2000s. This is a fact. Yeah, the conspiracy theory is that in order to save his business, he looked to Russia. He made ties with Russian oligarchs and he made large contracts with Russian oligarchs. All Russian oligarchs are tied to the Putin government as just a fact. The wealthy class in Russia is all connected to the Russian government. Thought so, to save his business, he went to Russia. He made deals with the Russians. And from that, he was then indebted to the Russians. It's also thought that he traveled to Russia and in Russia, he was solicited prostitutes and asked prostitutes to pee on his face. On the bed that he may or may not have been lying in at the time because Obama had been in it. It's thought that Russians then took videos of this without his knowledge and are holding it to blackmail him. They thought they had some private information on Trump. Um, as time went on, his connections grew with the Russians. They urged him to run for president. 
And okay, wait, I have to chime in just to say that part of it, I really don't think that we have evidence for, and furthermore, don't believe. It absolutely fits with everything that is Donald Trump, that the man wants to be president and ran for president of his own volition. I don't think that the Russian government had the foresight to imagine that this fucking buffoon could be president until it was much closer to a possibility. However, all the rest, I absolutely 100% believe. Continue. We know Trump hired an odd number of people with ties to Russia. Paul Manafort, who was his, his chairman of his campaign or his acting campaign manager. Paul Manafort, a man who previously had worked as a stooge of a pro-Russian Ukrainian dictator. Yanukovych, who was a Russian puppet in Ukraine. Paul Manafort worked on Yanukovych's campaign. This Paul is Manafort's under-the-table payments by Yanukovych were found by, I believe, Ukrainian investigators in a secret ledger in Yanukovych's office. Just, yes. That's Ukrainian what caused Manafort to leave and be replaced by Kellyanne Conway. Amazing how little press that received. He was also paid directly by Putin to advance Putin's interests. A $10 million contract beginning in 2005, which included a promise that he would work to advance the interests of the Putin regime. I swear to God that's true. And he has ties to the Russian mob. The Ukrainian government may still bring charges against Manafort. The U.S. government may still bring charges against Manafort. He's been acting illegally. He's been accepting money illegally from basically Russian interests. So that is very strange and dangerous that that person ran um, Donald Trump's campaign. But undoubtedly, he had a very strange number of people who had very close connections to Russia, including Roger Stone, who was Donald Trump's longtime friend and original campaign manager, a horrible human being who calls women the C-word on Twitter fairly frequently, is a really terrible person. Self-described rat fucker. This is how the man yes. likes to paint himself. He says he's a rat fucker. He I don't was, know what he means by rat fucker, but that's his best. He was, he was talking to Guccifer 2 point whatever. Guccifer 2. He is a hacker. He's the person responsible for hacking the DNC. Uh, the DNC was hacked and all their information was released, damaging their credibility, hurting Hillary Clinton, and hurting the Democrats' campaign. So he is the person responsible for hacking the DNC. He is supposedly a Romanian hacker, but he's thought by the CIA to actually be a Russian cover. So basically, the KGB hacks people and uses Gustaver, a Romanian hacker, as a cover to do it. Roger Stone was talking to him before he leaked. Roger Stone had communications with him. Uh, that's undeniable fact. Roger Stone admits it. That's very strange. Guccifer 2.0 didn't just hack the DNC, he also hacked John Podesta, from which crazy people have decided they found a pedophilia ring running out of a chain of pizza restaurants. What and else? before John Podesta's Don't emails before John Podesta's emails were released, Roger Stone released a statement on Twitter or somewhere that he expected a senior Clinton campaign official to have problems. So it's no, Roger Stone neither the Roger Stone admitted he was talking to Guccifer. He even posted his conversations that he had with Guccifer, saying that this is all the conversations I didn't know he had. That. Yeah, he did. So it's actually a fact. Michael Flynn, who was Trump's top security official National Security Advisor, was being paid by Turkey 
hundreds of thousands of dollars to advance their interest. He also national. He also made a promise in communication with Russian diplomats before the uh, inauguration that they would lift current economic sanctions on Russia imposed, I believe, for their support for the Assad regime. So he was undermining U.S. diplomacy. Uh, no, actually, that's incorrect. The sanctions were put in place by Obama in response to Russia's hacking of the DNC. And of oh, Hillary you're Clinton. right, you're right, you're right, you're right. Obama put sanctions in place in response in early fall. Um, Russia, strangely, did not respond by anything. They just were cool with it, basically. Usually, when we put sanctions on Russia, they freak out and they pull whatever. They arrest people or they pull people out of America or they do something. They put sanctions on us. Uh, We may remember a few years ago, they decided that Americans would no longer be able to adopt Russian orphans. Yes. uh, Russia being one of the places where the most orphans are adopted from. Uh, as a response to, I believe we were housing a Russian journalist opposition. I think that was probably sanctions for Crimea, no? No, we were housing a journalist. I remember that. They do stuff like that. Yeah, that's the sort of shit they do. They're great. They're lovely. We should have better relations with them. They did nothing. So people are like, that's very strange. Turned out that Michael Flynn, right after the sanctions were announced, talked to the Russian ambassador and told them, not to worry, when they take power, they'll reverse them. Basically promised the ambassador that they would reverse the sanctions and told them not to do anything. This is actually illegal behavior. Yeah, if that sounds against the law, it's because that's uh, 100% against the law. You're not allowed to do that. No, you're not allowed to do that. It's illegal behavior. Law has been placed since like the 1700s that if you are a private citizen, which Michael Flynn was at that point because Trump had not taken power, you were not allowed to negotiate with foreign governments on top of that you cannot undermine the sitting president before your president it is not only illegal but very stupid and that's a good sentence for trump's presidency so far not only illegal but very stupid so that's michael Flynn. so trump has a lot of people who have been closely tied to russia that doesn't include jeff sessions meeting uh supposedly in his role as a ranking member of the Senate Intelligence Committee with a Russian ambassador who's known to be a spy um, during the campaign. He is the Russian, he's the ambassador to America from Russia. He's the Russian ambassador. Yeah, so. but he's also known to be connected to the Russian intelligence service. But every, yeah. probably every high up official in Russia is connected to the Russian intelligence service because Putin is a KGB agent. Right, they all are. Yeah, I'm yeah. not saying he's special, I'm just saying. I'm just like, I'm, well, that seems like a democratic talking point to me. But. Okay, fine. The Russian ambassador met with Jeff Sessions at a questionable period of time. This happened uh, in September, I believe, during the campaign. And last week, Jeff Sessions recused himself from any investigation into the campaign connections to Russia uh, because of this being a questionable meeting, considering that the ambassador had not met with other members of the Senate Intelligence Committee. Jeff Sessions, if you don't recall, was one of the first and most major boosters to Trump campaign. Uh, as senator from Alabama, he's long been an anti-immigration advocate. His chief of staff, Stephen Miller, um, is a bit of a far-right policy wonk, like Paul Ryan, but with deader eyes and a more Gestapo style. And Stephen Miller is now white. He works in the White House. I 
am blanking because I've had two gin and tonics. I'm on my second G&T now. I'm blanking on his policy director, White House policy director. Yeah, he's, maybe? he's, he's one of the heads of Trump's policy. And he also would be the war- used to be the warm-up act for Trump's rallies. He'd speak before Trump came on in a lot of his rallies during the campaign. So Jeff Sessions was very connected to the campaign and met with the ambassador around the same time that Michael Flynn was doing such things. Mm-hmm. There's also this, and I'm just going to read what Congressman Adam Schiff, he's the ranking um, Democratic member on the House Intelligence Committee, who would be deciding to investigate uh, Trump if there's some connection between Russia uh, found. Anyway, here's what he had to say when to talking to Comey during Comey's um, testimony this week. Carter Page, someone candidate Trump identified as one of his national security advisors, travels to Moscow on a trip approved by the Trump campaign. While in Moscow, he gives a speech critical of the United States and other Western countries for what he believes is a hypocritical focus on democratization and efforts to fight corruption. According to Christopher Steele, a British, a former British intelligence officer who is reportedly held in high regard by U.S. intelligence, Russian and sources... And has gone to ground. He's gone to ground. Russian source... I'm not sure he's the one who's gone to ground. Yes, no, Chris Steele is the dossier man. I'm the one okay. who's gone to ground. Well, we know his name, so he must have... He's Russian... the one... Wait, wait, wait. Let's just say Chris Steele is the one who released a dossier with... It was like a 110-page dossier. It was a huge dossier with tons of information on Trump, one of which claiming that he was juiciest peed on by tidbit. prostitutes. That was the juiciest. That, yeah, that, that Trump was peed on by prostitutes. I believe it. I really do. Russian sources tell him that Page also had a secret meeting with Igor Sashin, CEO of the Russian gas giant Rosneft. Sashin is reported to be a former KGB agent and close friend of Putin. Okay. Have we covered all the info on Russia and can move on to what happened this week? Yes. It only took 30 minutes. Ugh. I feel like that's a pretty good dossier of evidence. It's all very circumstantial thus far, but... So, shall we talk about what happened this week? This week, FBI Director James Comey came to the Senate, to Capitol Hill, to give a statement. I have James Comey's statement here. Ben, do you want to, while I pull up James, the full transcript of James Comey's speech. Do you want to talk about why James Comey played a big role in the campaign, maybe? Okay. So Hillary Clinton made questionable decisions with her email security practices. She set up an email server, as all of you, I'm sure, have heard of by now, in her home in Chappaqua, New York. She didn't. That's exactly it. She didn't want to have... A work email and a private email. She wanted just yeah. to have an email. She has control over her emails, and she did. But it also meant that she didn't have to comply with Freedom of Information Acts. I mean, she did, but it also meant that the State Department couldn't comply with Freedom of Information Acts because they didn't have her emails. Right. And the difference was that other people had set up private emails, but they still used the State Department's email server. Yes, but that is the difference between The State Department could use, easily release their emails with Freedom of Information Act. Also, why the classified email thing was less of an issue because it wasn't technically being removed from the State Department because emails go to wherever the server is, obviously. Which, so it was known that James Comey and was, as FBI director, James Comey's FBI director, was investigating after the Senate Intelligence Committee had I believe it was, not the House Intelligence Committee had found this, 
the FBI was investigating all these emails. They went through 30,000 emails. It was very public knowledge. And afterwards, during the campaign, James Comey comes up and uh, he has to announce. He's, he's a Republican, but obviously the FBI is supposed to be nonpartisan. And James Comey has to announce that he is not going to be bringing any charges against Hillary Clinton because she's not nothing illegal. So basically what James Comey says is Hillary Clinton is nothing illegal. If she were still Secretary of State, I would fire her. But since she's not Secretary of State... Specifically, he called her actions extremely reckless. That was the quote that a lot of people ran with, was that she was extremely reckless. He was trying, um, the most charitable explanation is that he was trying to balance the political effect of his remarks. I wouldn't say that's the most charitable explanation. I would say the most charitable explanation is he's saying what he believed in her behavior. Um, the least charitable would be that he was trying to be political and trying to save face. No, the least charitable is that he was trying to advance Republican interests in a bad situation. Okay, that's fair. Um, anyway, in any case, later, but that's not really, what he said was not particularly egregious. Like, yeah, he came off as partisan, I'd say, but like, you know, he announced they weren't pressing charges. He wasn't wrong. And called her actions reckless, and it's defensible to say that. It is defensible. Um... Whether or not you think that her email practices were reckless, it's not unreasonable to say that they were. Um, what is not defensible is that then three months later, right two weeks before the election or a week before the election, he announces that they are reopening the investigation into Hillary Clinton. He announces in a letter to our lovely Nunes, who then leaks it. I think was it Nunes? I think it was Nunes. Might have been Chaffetz, Jason. Chaffetz, it was Jason. Might have been Chaffetz. Okay. Jason Chaffetz. Chaffetz. In a letter to Jason Chaffetz, who is one of the most partisan politicians in Washington, a Republican, he says, we're reopening the investigation to Hillary Clinton because Huma Abedin had an email server. Huma Abedin. Huma Abedin had an email server or shared a computer with Anthony Weiner, and they were investigating Anthony Weiner because he took a picture of his dick with his daughter on his lap. He was uh, in his underwear at the time, so it is a clothed penis with his daughter on his lap, and he sent it to a 15 or 16-year-old, which, oh. as you may know, is against the law. That's a whole... That is a whole bunch of... <laughs> anyway, so his... Anthony Weiner is a disgraced former congressman. Oh, my God. This story is so crazy. This whole year has been so fucking crazy. Yeah. Going through it. Now. Just explaining the cast of characters for this shit is so fucking insane. It's Russian so operatives, insane. insane Twitter trolls. K KGB agents, the British spies gone to ground. Donald Trump getting peed on by a Russian prostitute and then becoming Anthony president. Weiner sending pictures of his dick and his daughter to... <laughs> a 16-year-old. <laughs> oh, Lord. Where does it start and where does it end? Oh, my God. Anyway, so, so the, FBI, the FBI was investigating Anthony Weiner for... Anthony Weiner. Weiner really, right, for the fact that Anthony Weiner is even married to Huma Abedin, who is Hillary Clinton's more than just her chief of staff. And how do you explain... One. And so the Surely, Clintons. How do we explain heard the like the saying "a right hand man"? And why, if you looked it up in the dictionary, you would see Huma Abedin and Hillary Clinton. She is Gary from Veep, 
to Hillary Clinton, she's Selena not. Myers. She's actually more than that. She's more, yeah. She is... Huma Abedin is Clinton's number one. Basically her, like, most loyal assistant. It's not like Obama, who didn't have this to nearly the same degree. You know, Obama's people believed in him deeply, but, like, he doesn't have these, like, lifelong political operatives who are just completely moved, dead. Yeah, they've moved on. Huma Abedin will work at Hillary Clinton's side till the day one of them She does. Dies. Yeah, exactly. And Bill Clinton also has these people. Um, so she's married to Anthony Weiner, the disgraced congressman from New York, who was being investigated by the FBI for Weiner-related crimes. But in their investigation of him, they came across the fact that he and Huma shared a computer, which is, like, pretty strange, I think, to be honest with you. Because, like, who shares a computer? But they apparently shared a computer. So that brought up the fact that known sex philanderer Anthony Weiner could have access to Hillary Clinton's emails through Huma and thus have access to classified information. So FBI Director James Comey takes the extraordinary step of coming to a public declaration that he is reopening the case into Hillary Clinton's emails because there is a possibility that there are emails which he somehow has not seen from Hillary Clinton that have managed to find their way to Huma Abedin's email address and are now not on Huma Abedin's email server, which they had investigated, or Hillary Clinton's email server, which they had investigated, but might be on Anthony Weiner's sex-addicted computer. computer. So, Which was kind of a ridiculous thought. Turned out there was nothing there. Yeah, of course. There but was it was also there. what was most egregious was that the FBI has a stated policy, a longtime policy of not interfering in U.S. elections, so not doing anything political like within a month of the elections. There's a rule for it. There's a name for it. But they don't. They're not supposed to be at all involved in politics like a month before the elections whatsoever. And he violated this very clearly by writing this letter saying they were investigating Hillary Clinton's emails. Again, they had reopened the investigation because they found a computer that Huma Abedin shared with Anthony Weiner, which was a crazy thing to say. But on top of this, now what we have learned is, and a lot of people think this sunk Hillary Clinton's campaign. It's arguable, but it certainly did not help her. It coincided. It, the announcement by the FBI director, by James 30,000 votes in one state, you know, like, or a few states. FBI it's director certain- Comey's statement coincided with a dip in the polls for Hillary Clinton. And the polls weren't off by much, actually. They were off in a few states, but the national polls were not off by much. But that dip did not, it persisted. It did not change. And it's absolutely arguable that without it, she would have won the election. Yeah. So, but we have now learned that when Donald Trump, I mean, when James Comey announced that he was investigating Hillary Clinton, the FBI simultaneously had been investigating Donald Trump's campaign for ties to Russia for about three months. So finally this week, James Comey came to White, to Congress to testify that he has been in charge of an FBI investigation into Trump and his campaign since July. 
Now, the issue with this and the thing it really raises is what the fuck, James Comey? James Comey felt it was necessary to come to Capitol Hill and say, we are investigating any possible emails that were on Hillary Clinton's server that might have found their way onto Anthony Weiner's email server. However, he did not feel it was necessary to say, we are investigating Donald Trump and his campaign for treason. Yes, this is true. He did not feel it was necessary to tell the American public that they were investigating Donald Trump's campaign for treason, but he felt it was necessary to tell the American public that they were investigating Anthony Weiner's computer for Hillary Clinton emails, which makes you think that he was acting to benefit Republicans. It's hard to think of another reason why, unless he's compromised by the Russians, which it's is a hard. One thing I wanted to ask you, and something I have trouble understanding, it's hard to understand why... You know, when this was happening, not the Russia stuff, but the Hillary Clinton email FBI director stuff, there was a lot of talk about contingents within the FBI who really disliked Hillary Clinton, who wanted her to lose, and uh, who were strongly pro-Trump. I remember hearing this. It was from respectable journalistic sources, and it seemed like there were at least a number of FBI officials who really wanted Hillary Clinton to lose. What I do not understand, and what baffles me, is how could... People in the know in the FBI be willing to advance the interests of Donald Trump and clearly harm Hillary Clinton and know that they were doing so and advise James Comey to do so while investigating him and his campaign for treason. I can explain this to you, which is that the FBI is a huge organization. The vast majority of what the FBI does is local crime things. Like if there's a serial killer, the FBI is investigating. If there's a large crime, the FBI investigates. The police, if a police force needs help, the FBI becomes involved. If a police force needs oversight, the FBI becomes involved. You say it's so a huge organization, but it's, it's a not huge really organization. as big as ICE. The majority of what the FBI does is local crime enforcement or American-wide crime enforcement. Thus, the FBI, the majority of the FBI are basically police officers. They're just very high-level police officers with national oversight. Um, Trump is very popular among police officers. That is a documented fact that Trump pulls very well with police officers, probably something to do with his, his authoritative tendencies and the nature of the job. So, and Democrats and police officers have not really been on the best footing recently. Let's not get more into that. But um, not today. So thus, Trump is also fairly popular with FBI agents because unlike the CIA, which is a spying agency, that's not what the FBI is. The CIA is an entirely different... The CIA is very closely tied to the national security apparatus and very closely tied to national security in Washington and national security think tanks and things like that. That's not what the FBI is. The FBI is not an international organization. They are basically a national police force. And thus, they think similarly to the police. They're very closely tied to police forces in the United States. Donald Trump is very popular with the police. That is why he's popular with FBI agents. How could people know? I don't know. I don't know. I'd imagine that the people investigating the Trump campaign were a very small group and that it was very classified. So I would imagine that the majority of the FBI did not know that Trump was under investigation by the FBI. Okay, but as well as Comey goes, I can't explain. Yeah, this is what I was about to say. 
I, uh, that occurred to me, and I agree with you. It must have been that the FBI officials who were speaking to reporters simply were not part of the investigation into Trump and Russia and did not realize that Michael Flynn had made promises to Kilsiak, that Jeff Sessions had made, probably Kilsiak made promises is, to Kilsiak. Kilsiak is the Russian ambassador, we can say that. Um, yeah. Fine. It doesn't explain why James Comey did what he did. And it's, no, it doesn't. It's very worrying. James Comey should not be in the position he's still in. It's hard to understand. Do you have an explanation? I, as far as his actions, I don't. I can explain to you why the majority of the FBI would be supportive. I can say that maybe James Comey wanted to represent the FBI. Maybe James Comey was very unhappy with Democrats after serving under them for eight years. And maybe he was acting as a Republican partisan. That would be my guess is that he was doing everything he could to benefit Republicans because he wanted a Republican president. I don't know why when you're aware that a presidential campaign is under investigation for treason, why you would actively undermand, actively support that campaign and undermine the opposition's campaign. I don't know why you would do that. I guess that Comey doesn't think that Trump is guilty. I mean, you have two options. Either Comey really doesn't think that Trump is guilty and it's much ado about nothing, or Comey is compromised by Russia. <laughs> what are the other options, right? I feel like we talked maybe a little too much about Russia. Yeah, we didn't even get to the testimony. No, it's just, it's, there's so much there. It's, it's a little overwhelming. It is a compelling story. It's very entertaining. It's sort of like a spy novel come to life. So, but I think it does deflect from real issues such as healthcare. So, okay. Let's get into the meat of politics right now, which is healthcare. Okay, Ben. So we have Obamacare passed in 2009-10. Passed in 2010, introduced in 2009. Took a year of deliberation and work to pass. Um, It did. I think we should really get into assessing Obamacare because you hear a lot of propaganda, mostly on the right, but also on the left, about Obamacare, and to judge it um, to judge it fairly and independently is important as a law. So basically, let's first say what we had before Obamacare, which was basically a fairly unregulated system where people with pre-existing health conditions could not get health care with premiums rising precipitously. A lot of people couldn't afford their premiums. Also, it wasn't like Obama came all of a sudden to the realization that healthcare needed to be fixed. There had been push from the Democratic Party for a long time to regulate the uh, insurance industry for things like requiring them to, to provide insurance for maternity coverage, which seems so obvious, but it turns out that being pregnant could be something that is not covered by your health insurance before Obamacare and conceivably after Obamacare. So things like that had long been considered huge problems, as well as, well, I think probably everybody has heard about pre-existing condition coverage, where if you had, um, I don't know, genetic predisposition for breast cancer or cystic fibrosis, you weren't going to be able to get health insurance because it's In fact, it, it not was not only, profitable. yeah, it was not only Democrats who were pushing for health care reform, Republicans in the 90s. Also, we're pushing for healthcare reform. The Heritage Foundation, in fact, proposed the Heritage Foundation. It's a um, conservative, ultra conservative think tank. Proposed a law in the nineties. One of the most public. 
I'm not sure it's actually one of the top, but it is one of the most public uh, conservative think tanks. They proposed a law in the 90s um, that was very similar to what Obamacare became, ultimately, uh, in response to Hillary Care, which was Hillary Clinton's push for, and Bill Clinton's push for socialized health care. Which um, was closer to universal health care than Obamacare. Actually, Obamacare most resembled Romney Care, which was the law that was passed under Mitt Romney in Massachusetts, obviously Mitt Romney being a Republican governor of Massachusetts, a liberal state. So Obamacare passes without really any Republican support. And Actually, no. No Republican support. Really and in 2010, the Republicans win a wave election in a disinformation campaign saying that Obamacare will set up death panels, ration health care for old people and the elderly, and if it's too expensive to take care of you, you simply won't be covered. In fact, Republicans won portraying Obamacare as some giant socialist policy and completely redesigning the role of U.S. government in American life. This wasn't the case. Obamacare ended up being a fairly moderate policy thanks to back in 2008, there were a lot of conservative Democrats, fairly conservative Democrats. And thanks to them, Obamacare came out being a fairly moderate policy. For example, Obamacare originally had a public option, which would be like one giant public plan that sort of would be like a uh, single payer a light option that would be, a that would be compete. To, yeah, yeah, other health that would be like coverage. government government run healthcare that would compete with private healthcare, and ultimately it was stripped out of the bill because it couldn't pass with conservative Democrats. There were other things they stripped out too. In fact, it only lost almost lost Bernie Sanders' support because this public option was stripped out. So it was a fairly moderate policy, and Dem Republicans won portraying it as some giant social Basically, reconstruction. Any policy that keeps health insurance run through an employer-based system is a moderate policy. Yes. So that was basically what Obamacare did. What Obamacare did that was fairly liberal was expand Medicaid. Medicaid was – they expanded Medicaid to many – Medicare billions. and Medicaid, and I always get them confused. But Medicaid is for the elderly and Medicare is for people who can't afford care. Is that correct? It's Medicaid. That's backwards. Medicaid is for okay. See, I people say who I are poor, and Medicare is for people who, if you're above 65, you get a socialized health care, which is known as Medicare. And Medicaid is for people who are too, afford, too poor to afford health care. So Obamacare did several things. It expanded Medicaid to more poor people who couldn't afford health care. Then right. for people who don't qualify for Medicaid, it, um, it offered tax credits, basically. It offered credits to people who couldn't afford Medicaid basically to cover their premiums, premiums being the amount that you have to pay that your healthcare doesn't cover. Right. So it also required that health uh, insurance companies cover people with pre-existing conditions and said that dependents could stay on family plans until the age of 26. Now, all of these things are costly to a health insurance company, right? Covering people who can't afford to pay premiums is costly. Well, more for the government, but it's certainly not um, producing revenue for for health insurance companies. Pre-existing condition coverage is costly for health insurance companies. Keeping dependents on family plans is, is costly for health insurance companies. And so to make this a workable system, what Obamacare had devised was the individual mandate, which basically said that you do not use at least Obamacare or your own employer-based 
healthcare system and get care for yourself, you will be taxed a penalty. That is a big sticking point with the Republican Party. So this was a very unpopular policy because it's penalizing people for making a choice. If you don't want healthcare, people believe, well, that's people on the right believe that's my right. I shouldn't have to pay a tax. The logic behind this is that you need to have healthy people in an insurance pool to have a functioning insurance pool. So you need to have healthy people who pay into the insurance so the insurances can cover the the sick people without going bankrupt. Um, Otherwise, insurance doesn't work. You basically, you pay a price to have a peace of mind. That's the whole thought behind healthcare. So when Obamacare expanded health insurance to sick people who were not getting covered, sick people were basically dying because insurance companies could deny them for being sick. It expanded. So basically, they introduced a lot of sick people into the insurance pool. They had to counter that with healthy people. So their solution to getting healthy people to buy insurance was to mandate it through a tax penalty. Right. You pay a tax. A lot of Republicans considered this to be illegal. A lot of Republicans considered this to be wrong. Not the role of the government. And so this is what the part of the bill that was challenged in federal court that became the, the challenge to Obamacare that was in the Supreme Court. And so the idea was that if the individual mandate had been struck down, all Obamacare would have to be struck down because it would become unaffordable. This is important because this is literally what the new AHCA, Trump Care, Ryan Care bill does. It has also become the problem with Obamacare. So before we get to that, the issue that people are having with Obamacare is that in regions in America, premiums are going up because the tax penalty has not been enough. It has not induced enough young, healthy people to join the health insurance pool to cover all of the sick people with pre-existing conditions and the Medicaid expansion. And so insurance companies are just backing out of the whole system or reducing the amount of plans available in, in various areas. Yes. So basically insurance, so premiums have gone up significantly. We should preface this by saying in that areas, very everywhere in compared really in areas, compared the vast majority of people get their health insurance through employers. These people are not experiencing premium increases. Not really. Yeah. Very small. It's only about 3% of Americans who are on Obamacare's offering that's independent of insurers. And those 3%, a, a portion of these 3% are experiencing large premium increases. So when the Republicans say there's a death spiral, you know, this whole insurance system is going belly up, it's actually a very small portion of the people who are getting insurance. Medicaid, obviously Medicare, and insurance through your employer, those aren't being affected. If Um, you currently have a job, mm -hmm. you are on employer healthcare. If you have a full-time salaried position, you have employer-based healthcare. Mm -hmm. So so what Republicans did, basically, is they they wanted to – they ran saying we're going to repeal and replace Obamacare, but they had no plan – to repeal and replace Obamacare, and Trump doesn't know anything about healthcare. He really doesn't. He really should listen ran, to what we just said. It would be super helpful for him. Yeah, if he listened to what we just said, he would know maybe a hundred times more than what he knew before, because he actually knows nothing. And if you hear, you can go back into his debates and hear him debate. And literally, his only proposal is we'll knock down state lines. So Obamacare is regulated by state. His only proposal was we'll take down the state lines. He knew nothing else. Other Which than actually just, was a good proposal. 
which would but have been a good thing to do because that it would have increased part. competition. It would have, again, been bad for the insurance companies, but it's not even part of his bill. It was not ultimately part of the bill. The one thing that he ran on in healthcare, he also said he would promise, he promised insurance for everybody, which was obviously not what any Republican wants, insurance for everybody. And so he didn't know shit about insurance. He would probably be just as happy with single payer as anything else. He doesn't know shit. I honestly think somebody should walk into his office and, and give him this pitch. Trump, yeah. you said I alone can fix it. Here's what you're going to do. The media will love it. Go to the Democrats, give them single payer, screw over every Republican, and it will be talked about as like this amazing move. Everybody will love you. It's actually a good idea. He'd totally buy it. Yeah, he'd he totally might. buy it. He might. I mean, so basically, so Trump gets in and he doesn't know shit about healthcare. He doesn't have any policy. He never gave a policy out in the campaign other than saying he's going to take down state lines and Obamacare. And the Republicans, meanwhile, do have a policy, but it's a very far-right one. So Paul Ryan, basically, is just given free reign to propose what he wants to propose. So he proposes the Affordable Health Care Act, or the American Health Care Act, I don't know, whatever, AHCA, Trump Care, Ryan Care. Act, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. And basically, what it does is it, it leaves this basic structure of Obamacare in place, Right. So the Freedom um, Caucus, the most Republican wait, 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 wait. I want to get members, into already don't like that. But continue. Yeah. It leaves the basic, it leaves structure, the basic in place. structure of Obamacare in case. And the reason it does that is because what we had before Obamacare was deeply broken. So going back to what we had before Obamacare would only raise premiums and only hurt people. It was already a fucked up, broken system. So the Republicans couldn't go back to it, which is something to keep in mind. They could not go back to what we had before Obamacare as much as the Freedom Caucus would like it because it was worse. So on top of that, basically, it's just a massive tax break for the rich. So okay. basically, they're going to scale back Medicaid, which is something Trump promised they would not do. Right. And in so return for the Medicaid expansion, Medicaid, increasing the Medicaid expansion, scaling back the Medicaid expansion under Obamacare, um, increasing the amount that insurance companies can charge the elderly, which was limited under Obamacare. So the elderly people who obviously cost more to insurance companies can only be charged three times more than young people under right. health insurance plans said they can be charged five times more, which would ultimately be thousands and thousands of dollars um, more of price increases for the elderly. Um, and it repealed the individual mandate, which is fairly popular, but basically they realized we can't repeal the individual mandate. All right, wait, 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 wait. I need to intercede here because I feel like this has not been uh, as succinct as it could be. Although I think it's important what you just said. So what it cuts, basically, it cuts the Medicaid expansion. Mm -hmm. It keeps the pre-existing condition coverage because that was too popular to get rid of. It keeps mm -hmm. the dependence on till the age of 26 because that was too popular and is also fucking necessary and they couldn't get rid of it. Yeah. It cuts the individual mandate. So That's, what the plan does is it takes all part the part healthy part. people out of the pool but keeps the sick people in the pool. And the reason, the stated reason, is that because premiums are too high. So their plan is to make the insurance companies deal with a more limited and sicker group of people to insure, and then that somehow will lower premiums. It's an insanely bad plan. Their solution to that was basically 
instead of having the individual mandate, which is deeply unpopular, and they knew they were going to have to get rid of it because that's what they ran on. Deeply unpopular um, amongst We're going to replace yes. it <laughs> where if you lose health insurance, if you don't have health insurance oh, for yeah, two months, huh. you then have to spend a, a like a 30% increase to insurance companies when you get health insurance again. So basically, instead of make, paying a tax when you're uninsured, you have to spend more money you have to pay health insurance companies more money to get insurance, which is a disincentive to getting insurance. It's it is, crazy. It's actually insane. It's a penalty on, I mean, all of economic policy, right? The basic idea of economic policy is that you're incentivizing and di disincentivizing behavior. So this, the, the thing that they're doing here is they are purposefully disincentivizing uninsured people from getting insurance. Which is literally insane. Yes, you're also disincentivizing people from losing insurance, but once they lose insurance, you're disincentivizing them from getting insurance. It's yeah. insane. And on top of that, you're basically just transferring your government isn't isn't getting taxes from the individual mandate, but health insurance companies are. So and it's also, gonna be just losing as much your insurance is not something that people choose to do. No. Right? Like no. like from an economic policy perspective, you have to expect that people are sometimes going to be in financially difficult situations where they lose insurance for short periods of time. Let's say their house is flooded or let's or say their grandparents job. are dying or they lose their job and their fucking insurance is gone. And so they're not going to be able to avoid losing insurance. But what they can choose to do is get new insurance and you are penalizing that. You are trying to prevent that. Yeah, so I mean, and be, so if you take all of these people out of the system, all that's left are really sick people and really old people. So basically, this law was unsurprisingly deeply fucking unpopular because it's going to knock twenty-four. Oh, so the CBO score, which is the, right. the 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 committee in Congress that assesses bills. Just briefly, the CBO stands for the Congressional Budget Office. They are a great and nonpartisan uh, agency in the legislative branch that takes any proposed. Uh, legislation and determines what it will really do. How many people will it affect, in what ways will it affect them, and what will it do to the budget? It said, this is going to knock 24 million people off their insurance. This is not going to lower premiums, not one bit. The only thing this is going to do is it's going to be a giant tax break for the rich, and it's going to lower the deficit, which isn't a surprise, um, because you're going to knock 24 million people off of insurance, and a lot of that's Medicaid, so it's going to lower the deficit. So that was the bill. And so unsurprisingly, this bill was super, super fucking unpopular with the American public. It had 17% support and 54% opposition. It doesn't lower premiums until the system breaks so completely that healthcare is only a thing that the very rich can access. So yeah, it was just like, we're gonna turn Obamacare into a program for the rich, give them a max massive tax break to the rich and knock all the poor people off of Obamacare, which is, Basically what Paul Ryan wants, because he's kind of a monster, okay? Paul Ryan, he just wants to help his rich donors. That's all he wants I to fucking do. I don't understand why, though. Why does he want we'll to do that? We'll get into that. That is for another podcast. I don't have time. But that's all he fucking wants to do. He wants to help rich people and hurt poor people. That is his lifelong goal. They're not going to change the structure of government. They're not ideologically going to say government shouldn't be involved in healthcare because they know that's too unpopular. And the American public hated how healthcare was structured when the free market had full reign, which was in the 90s, right? In the early 2000s, people don't like it when you're sick and you get denied healthcare. It's fucking wrong. It's terrible. You can't get healthcare. You're born with an illness and you aren't born with healthcare. You can't get it. It's wrong. People don't agree with it. When the free market has full reign, people don't agree with healthcare. It is immoral. So 
but they the they don't even take government. This bill didn't take government out of healthcare and bring us back to what we had in the 90s. It kept the Obamacare structure. It just made Obamacare for the rich. And you know what? It didn't sell. It didn't sell with the far right, the people who are actually actually very committed to their ideology, the extremists on the right, known as uh, the Freedom Caucus. Right. And these people said. We, when we we signed up, we said we are. When we told our constituents we are repealing Obamacare, we are taking the government out of healthcare completely. The and Freedom Caucus doesn't do that at all. So and the, the Freedom people, Caucus have been. Yeah. They were the people uh, who are behind a lot of um, crazy right wing f- things that have happened in our government in the past, like shutting down the government for a while. They are about thirty to forty um, House uh, Republicans who, um, when Trump was elected, released a list of 100 regulations and um, programs they wanted to get rid of. And the first one on the list, I love it, the National School Lunch Program. And their stated reason is because the kids are throwing the food out. These are people who do not believe in government. They do not want the government in healthcare. They They they, do not believe in government in anything. They don't think the government should be part of anything other than national security and police force, and even that to a lesser, lesser extent. Right. <laughs> These are extreme libertarians, but beyond libertarianism. So Trump and Ryan try to just ramrod, again, Obamacare was a year-long deliberation. They spent about two or maybe a little less, one and a half weeks, trying to replace it with the American Health Care Act. They could not get the votes because moderate Republicans were like, this is a terrible bill, and extremely conservative Freedom Caucus Republicans um, didn't weren't pacified because the, it really didn't change the thing they had an issue with, which was that government was regulating how healthcare is provided, um, Medicaid. Yeah. And know. moderate Republicans were like, we can't knock 24 million people off of healthcare and expect Them our constituents not to vote us out, which is fair. And ultimately, the bill died. It was <laughs> they scheduled a terrible it on bill. Thursday. Didn't work. They scheduled it on Friday. It didn't work. Trump made some calls during his lunch hour. I have a Politico article that says he's been leaving it to his aides. He 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 cared, but he didn't care all that much. And then they just gave up. Art of the deal, right there. Steve Bannon went over, and Steve Bannon said, "You guys are going to vote for this bill." He went to the Freedom Caucus. People yeah, who cannot be bullied, they will not be bullied. They're These insane. are people who These live in the reddest assholes. of red districts. These are people who out perform Trump, you better believe it, uh, for re-election. And, you know, they live in super red districts. Their constituents like them. Their constituents don't want government involved in anything. And they, they, Steve yeah, Bannon basically went, went over and said, you have to support this bill. Or and else they said, we will let Obamacare stand forever, and it's this or Obamacare, make your pick. And they said, really uh, I haven't been ordered around since this I was... Bill, my favorite is a guy from Texas. He said, the last time somebody told me to do something, it was my daddy when I was 18, and I didn't listen to him either. <laughs> the thing is that I think a lot of people buy into this thing where he's a good negotiator. He's not a good negotiator. Nothing in his business history says he is great at negotiating. And... So far, his presidency has been an unmitigated series of disasters. And thank God it's been an unmitigated series of disasters. I want to give a shout out to the separation of powers that I learned about in high school because they have been doing their fucking job while there are no Democrats in the legislative branch and Trump in the White House. They have prevented the horrible executive order that was unconstitutional twice. They have prevented um, this 24 million people are going to die health care law. 
So we can give $50,000 a year to rich people, basically. Like, it's insane. And um, they're just going to give up. That's it. It ended on Friday, and, and they're done. They there's a few to... takeaways. There's a few takeaways. First off, I'm shocked that Trump did not come in and say, let's make – because this is, this is Trump's first legislative policy push, and that is incredibly important in every presidency, what you start with. And in every other presidency, it's been successful. Obama, his first legislative policy yeah. push – was the bailout, and it was not just the bailout, but like the um, it was a bailout and then healthcare. And trillion dollar bailout. Bailout was his first policy push. It was bipartisan. It was a success, and it basically it helped resurrect the economy. That was a big deal. You know, Bush's first giant legislative policy push was tax reform, and that was also he got done what he wanted to get done. Ultimately, I think it fucked over the economy, but he basically pushed through giant tax breaks. He restructured. Tax. Bush tax and cuts. Bush tax cuts. And um, what shocks me is that Trump didn't come in with a plan. He didn't come in. Trump is way more moderate on – if he has any ideology, it's way more moderate on health care than all the Republican Party. He could have come in and he could have put the Democrats in the like bind saying, I'm going to restructure Obamacare to help people. I'm going to yeah. restructure Obamacare so that we take down state lines. I'm going to – Increase Medicaid. I'm going to make the Medicaid expansion mandatory for everyone. Increase and the tax penalty. Uh, if people can you imagine, don't, can you imagine would what work. would happen if Trump tried to increase Medicaid? The Democrats would have been fucked because yeah. the Democrats couldn't oppose him because Democrats can't oppose increasing Medicaid, and they couldn't. I mean, they would have to support him, and they would look terrible for it. But Trump didn't. Trump basically let the far right extremists run his policy. He let Paul Ryan run okay. his policy. I think and the he answer got, here oh. is he is truly very lazy and he just doesn't enjoy it. He doesn't like yeah. doing it and he doesn't want to. So the fact that there is a real, like obvious strategy, when you come, he is such an opportunity as this outsider nutso to do whatever the fuck he wants. But the truth yeah. is he's not he going to care. take it because it's too hard and it's way too much work and it's much easier just to let Steve He had an opportunity to restructure healthcare and he has a constituency that expected him to come in and expand healthcare and help them because he had a constituency who said Obamacare doesn't do enough for us. Yeah. If these people were really helped by Obamacare, they wouldn't have voted for him. These were people who still had high premiums. These were people who didn't get the Medicaid expansion, you know, who weren't poor enough. These were people who want more health care yeah for the most they part they are they are full-time employed their health care is still yeah. kind of shitty i mean the truth is that if you are a low-wage worker working 40 hours a week your health care is shitty. expensive it, it, you your employer may be paying for it but it ends up coming out of your salary in many ways and it's not that good no, and you're still tied into your job, a, a job maybe you don't you like. Go to the, you and go to the you go to Walgreens to pick up your medication and it costs three hundred dollars to you know without health care, but it still costs fifty dollars to pick up every month with health care. People aren't happy about that. All right, yeah, we're gonna have you're to absolutely right. wrap it up. You had people Obamacare didn't do enough. And they were unhappy, and he didn't help them at all. He just let the Republicans who were completely tone deaf on these issues. Take it over. And not only could they not pass a law, but they proposed a law that would have been even more damaging to him if yeah. they passed it. It's shocking he let them do this. But the truth is he's not a good negotiator. He doesn't know what the fuck he's doing. And he's letting a bunch of Republican establishment wing and a bunch of extremists run his policy. Yeah. So The thing is the Republican Party is too broken and too fractured to pass anything by themselves. But yeah. Trump is too bored and lazy to do it himself. And so what you're just going to have is is the kind of lovely Simpson-esque 
It's like Homer Simpson writes a health insurance policy. Just It's ridiculous. All right. So anyway, wait, 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 real quick. I just want to close this out by saying I want to talk about single payer and Bernie Sanders push for single payer, which is really where the Democrat Party should be going. So we're talking about the Republicans. Slowly, but I think it is. This is what we need to talk about. And Bernie Sanders has said this in every chance he's gotten. He said, this is great. We need to oppose this disastrous policy that knocks 24 million Americans off health insurance and will kill thousands of people. It's not just Bernie Sanders. Hillary Clinton also during the campaign gave more than lip service to dramatic yes. expansions of non-employer-based oh, yes. okay. healthcare. Yes, this is true. And she also was a champion of healthcare in the 90s. Thank you, Jacob. Thank it you. Deserves to be said, you Bernie. But Hillary Clinton no longer has any role in... This is true. The Democratic Party, because she lost. I'm Bernie just saying, Sanders. the idea that Bernie so, Sanders... Still has, is Bernie the, Sanders is still a senator. He's still going on TV and talking about it. That's why I mentioned him. Well, if he Hillary Clinton is the mainstream of the Democratic Party, and she's not, she's kind of left of it, but only by a little, I just want to say, I think the Democratic Party is already closer to universal health care than you're giving so them credit for. Left. She is, by standard uh, metrics. I'm sorry. Objective metrics. She was the 10th or 11th most liberal senator in the Senate at the time she was. I don't care how she voted. I care about her behavior. So, well, that is a oxymoron. You contradicted yourself in the same sentence. No, I don't care about how she voted. I care about her behavior. Is she voted? Her behavior was that she got paid. No, voting is her behavior. Her voting is her behavior. She's not left center. That's ridiculous. That's her important behavior. I just want to talk about healthcare. All right. I'm sorry I triggered you by mentioning Bernie Sanders. My apologies. Um, I love Bernie. Just don't Bernie bro on me. Continue. What Bernie Sanders and the left wing of the Democratic Party have been mentioning, these are people who pushed really hard to have single payer is as a part of Obamacare and who did not like Obamacare because it was way too moderate of a policy and did not guarantee everyone coverage, is basically they're pushing for single payer and they're saying – yeah, where it's great that we've knocked down this disastrous bill by the Republicans. Obviously, Republicans don't have a plan. They don't have any vision for healthcare. But what we need and what we need to run on and what we need to guarantee Americans yes. is healthcare as a right for everyone. And that is super important to focus on. Basically, what they're saying is why, why in this country is healthcare conditional on employment? Why are we getting our healthcare? Yeah. How is that helpful our- in any way? How- any sense? How does it make any sense that your health care is given to you by where you work? It's insane. Um, it, on top of how one, is it fair? That one thing the- that I think you brought up to me recently, so I'll give it, you credit to it, even though I mentioned it, though, is that the problems of being um, an employer-based healthcare system are some are are deep set, and some of them are not obvious. Like for example, they reduce people's um, likelihood of changing jobs. I think you said that to me, right? They reduce people's likelihood of changing jobs because if you change job while you're doing that, you're losing all your health care. What if you get sick and you don't have a job for in the two months? So that's not healthy for an economy. Also, yeah. it depresses <laughs> wages. And we have seen that wage increases for middle class Americans are so slow and are lagging behind increasing the economy. And part of that has and continues to be because employers are factoring in paying for people's health care, um, but those not giving um, their workers higher wages. Um, yeah, I mean, and to, to expand on that, a sign of a healthy economy is when people are willing to 
change jobs frequently. If you're not willing to change jobs, if people are really locked into their job, it reduces competition. It means that businesses can't find the most qualified people for their positions, and it means people can't find the positions they're most qualified for. It's a sign of a sick economy. So literally having a healthcare employer-based system is a detriment to our economy. And to expand on that, like, not only that, but we spend the largest portion of our GDP, our gross domestic product, out of any country on healthcare. We yeah. do, and we also we do one of the worst jobs of delivering healthcare to our citizens. So it's literally we do, crazy. We're very and, good at inventing treatment, developing yes. treatment, and providing really high-end treatment. That is what our the system ultra wealthy. does for the ultra better wealthy. than any other system. For yes, the ultra for the ultra well, yes. But for the vast majority of Americans, we do not deliver good healthcare at all for the amount of money that we spend on it. It's insane. Um, So removing the employer-based system would be better for employers because they wouldn't – they would be able to just pay their – they would be able to raise the the wages, get better qualified workers, and not have to be concerned that the healthcare they are providing for their workers might, at some point, be uh, unaffordable for them. It's and a huge. I want to talk about that. It is a huge imposition on small businesses. This is what I wanted to say, particularly small yeah, businesses. That's what I'm trying to get at. If we had a single-payer system, it would take a huge weight off small businesses because every single employee you have to hire, you have to now insure their health care, and you have to. It's part of being a small business, and that is such a huge tax on businesses. Yeah. Bigger businesses can handle it because they have higher profits, um, a higher the government margin. can handle it because The government can huge. handle it. But if you're a small business, it's a huge portion of your profit is going to health care, and that's insane. It Literally, we're depressing – the health of our economy, and we're depressing entrepreneurship, which is a giant. Like, okay. it's just such a big tax on our economy. It's insane. So, honestly, what can you do if you care about this to support single-payer health care is vote in 2018 for liberals and vote in Democratic primaries for liberals who say they support single-payer health care. Yeah. And vote, 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 vote. Tell your friends to vote. Talk to people who don't understand the healthcare system. Talk to people who don't understand single-payer health care. It's... There's a lot on it. There's a huge amount of evidence that it helps the health of an economy and it helps the health of, of a healthcare system and the country because every other uh, wealthy country in the world has a single-payer system except us. So yeah. you have the evidence. Go out there, talk to people, and vote. And make sure that the Democrats that you vote for in Democratic primaries support single-payer healthcare. That would be my suggestion. I don't think there's much more we can do with Republicans controlling literally all our politics right now. The other Um, thing I want to say is that beyond the event that's happening this Friday, the New School um, Student Development uh, Office has given me an event in 30 days, which I have to design this week. Mm -hmm. So I would love to hear from people listening to this from, I'm going to talk about this on social media, but I'd really like to design an event where we do kind of an informational session. We get some people who are uh, experts or who are engaged as political activists or um, political representatives to talk about certain issues that are really difficult to understand and also difficult to know what regular citizens can do. So healthcare is a definite possibility. I'd really like to know more and I'd like to know 
what beyond voting for people who support universal health care I can do. Um, but there are so many other issues that I'd love to hear from the general public about what they want to hear about also and what they want to be informed on, and we can design it over the next week. Yeah, so if you have an issue you care about that you want us to A, talk about on this podcast, or B, you want to hold an event with at the new school, let us know. Let Jacob know. Let me know. You can let us know via Facebook. You can let us know via Twitter. We are on both. Um, We'll post your information. Anything else? Or or email. And you can email us at... um, Pineapple politics at gmail.com. Super easy. Email us. Let us know. Um, yeah. All right. Um, let's sign off. Okay. Well, before we sign off, we are going to be doing uh, the second part of our interview with Louisa Strothman, and we'll release the whole interview and more information about the event that I'll be holding this Friday on Raise the Age uh, sometime during this week. So, that look for that. We'll be publicizing that when it happens. Um, I think it should be maybe Wednesday, but we will find out when we find out. And thank you, everybody, for listening. I hope this was helpful. If you have any feedback, anything you would like to tell us, uh, please let us know at Pineapple Politics um, on any social media, yada, yada, yada. And thank you so much for spending the time to listen to our conversation. Ben, can you give us a sign-off? Checking out from the Apocalypse. This is Ben and Jacob. All right. Enjoy your apocalypse, everybody. See you next week.